The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Today we are wrapping up our study on the book of Jonah together, and I've had the opportunity over the last several weeks to hear from so many of you, from uh, messages you've left me, emails um, that you sent to me, a couple of voice messages, just so much. Um, this study and this particular book has meant to you and our time in it together as a church. And the interesting thing about Jonah is you kind of know the story, right? I mean, you grow up and you hear the story, you see the movie when you're a kid. But when you come back and you actually study this and you look at this as an adult, I mean, it is an entirely different experience because um, the thing that makes Jonah's story, you know, my story and what makes it your story is that all of us, to some degree or another, um, we know what it means and what it feels like to, to run from God and try to resist God. And, and so far in our study, what we've come up with are two um, really big lessons uh, from Jonah's life that every single one of us, we can apply to our lives today. The first is simply this, you can run from God but you can't outrun God, right? And then the second, um, which is this idea here, which is that God is very generous in his grace, but he isn't all grace. Instead, he is all love, which means that God is very generous in his grace, but he actually loves us enough to come after us at certain times and stop us from going down certain paths. And when he does that, we discover that's not because God is trying to pay us back. It's because he actually wants to bring us back and win us back. And so last week at the end of our service together, many of us, um, we actually had the opportunity to express the very same thing to our Heavenly Father that we saw Jonah expressing, which is to just say, just simply say, I'm done. Heavenly Father, I'm done. I'm done running. I'm done hiding. Right? I'm done ignoring you. The, 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 the pain and the hurt and the brokenness that, that, that I've begun to experience or that I am experiencing in my life right now, that, that's enough. I am done. I am, I am surrendering to you. And see, if the interesting thing is that if Jonah's story, right, if this story would have stopped there at that point where we were last week, that would actually be a very good place for the story to stop. Right? Because Jonah, he rebels, he runs from God, he comes back to God, God forgives him, and he gives Jonah a second chance. Right? So full circle, nice place for the story to end. But see, the reality is that's only actually half the story of Jonah. And what we've seen, the most famous part of the story, this part about him being swallowed by and eaten by the fish or the whale and then being spit back out on the shore, that's not even the point of Jonah's story. So today, as we study chapters 3 and 4, as we finish our our study in the book of Jonah together, we're going to discover what it is that this book is really all about. And we're going to also discover what the purpose and the story of Jonah's life is also really all about. And what we're going to discover is this, that although this is the story of a man who ran from God, we're going to see that running from God looks very different than perhaps what we first thought. Take out your Bibles, open them up to Jonah chapter 3. It's on page 1,438 if you're using one of those Bibles in front or behind you, depending on where you are seated this morning. Jonah chapter 3, we're going to pick up with the verse that we left off with last week. God speaks to Jonah and he says to him, Now go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give to you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. 
And again, Nineveh was 550 miles by land, um, across the land from Israel. And now Jonah, he's not even in Israel anymore. He's far uh, west of Israel. So now he has to get back and travel to Nineveh. So literally, he's on the road for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time, simply by himself. Finally, Jonah gets to the city of Nineveh. It's in the desert, right? It's in modern-day Iraq. It's very, very hot. He walks into the city that doesn't know his culture, doesn't know his people, doesn't recognize his God, doesn't know anything about the Ten Commandments. In fact, it's a city that's been an enemy of the nation of Israel. Jonah walks into the streets of Nineveh and he begins to shout this message to everyone who will listen, right? Repent. Because in 40 days, God is going to judge your city. He's going to send an invader to destroy your city and conquer your city if you do not repent of your violence and your sin. And again, if you picture this, it's just kind of strange, right? Because, I mean, these people, they, they've never heard of Jonah's God before. And yet, at the same time, the Scriptures tell us in verse 5 that the Ninevites, that they believed God, and they declared a fast, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Now, sackcloth was actually a very coarse fabric, kind of like burlap. It was actually made from goat hair. Um, so wearing it, as you can imagine, would be very uncomfortable, it would be very, very scratchy. And wearing it was actually a sign of mourning. And in this case, it was a sign of mourning uh, for their sin and for their violence. Verse 6, when Jonah's message reached the king of Nineveh, the king rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. And so the king basically calls for a nationwide fast because of this message of Jonah. And again, this is really strange if you put yourself into the story. Why in the world would the king of Nineveh actually listen to anything that Jonah had to say? I mean, maybe it was just purely a miracle, right? I mean, it could have been absolutely just, just miraculous, just God's miraculous work at hand. That could absolutely be the case. That's certainly possible. Scripture tells us that God wants all people to be saved, and to come to a knowledge of the truth, and that he is always at work in ways that we see and in ways that we don't see to make this happen. So that certainly is one possibility. The interesting thing, however, is this, that in addition to to what it is that we read about Jonah happening in, in the Scriptures, we also know from archaeological evidence and other manuscripts that we've discovered that there were actually a number of different events happening in this very region of the world at the exact same time that Jonah was happening in this region of the world, right? We know that there's three groups of people, three ethnicities, three tribes that had massed together and taken up a position about 100 miles north of the city of Nineveh. And so very, very quickly, the king of Nineveh knew that his city could be under attack, and all of a sudden, this strange guy appears out of nowhere and says that the thing that you're afraid is going to happen, that actually will happen if you do not repent of your violence and of your sin. And so that certainly was a possibility. The other thing that we know is that in 763 B.C., which is, again, exactly when this was happening, in the month of June, there was a total eclipse of the sun in this particular area of the world. We know that that happened as well. We've even uncovered some Assyrian manuscripts known as the Enuma and the Enil that contain an Assyrian prophecy that said that after an eclipse, the king will die, there will be a famine in the land, and rain from heaven will flood the land, and it will be destroyed. And so all those things, right, God certainly could have used all of those to come together so that the king of Nineveh as well as all of the people in Nineveh would actually take Jonah's message and God's message seriously. Verse 8, the king says, let everyone call urgently on God 
Let them give up their evil ways and their violence, and who knows, God, he may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. And again, if the story were to end there, right? I mean, we could put this nice little bow on this whole thing and just say, isn't that neat? Doesn't that just make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside, right? Because God said something to Jonah and Jonah said no. But God gave Jonah a second chance and so Jonah went and these people repented. And then Jonah could say, I'm so glad I did what God told me to do because God showed compassion to me and the fish and God showed compassion to the people of Nineveh. Isn't it all just so perfect? But see, as the story actually continues... What we discover is actually the real reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. And what we discover is that although there's a certain part of the story that might be difficult for some of us to believe, once we read the entire story, you have to ask yourself, why in the world would anybody actually make this up? Because if this didn't happen the way that it's recorded for us in here, you wouldn't make this story up because it doesn't help the cause. It doesn't make anything better. It actually highlights something that you would not want to have highlighted. Because see, what we discover is that the real reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh isn't because he was afraid of what the Ninevites might actually do to him. It was because Jonah was afraid of what God might do for the Ninevites. And see, and he hated these people, right? And Jonah could justify his hate because they were wicked and they were violent and they were the enemies of his people, the enemies of his nation, and the enemies of his God. But what we discover in this last chapter of the book of Jonah is that Jonah actually knew God better than we think Jonah knew God. In fact, Jonah knew God so well, he even predicted God's response to the repentance of the people in Nineveh. And see, this is where the story takes a very, very strange twist. Because see, this is where the mirror comes up. Right? And for all of us, us good people, right? all the good church people that are here today, this is the part where the mirror comes up and it shows us something that's a little bit uncomfortable. Something that maybe is a little bit awkward for us to actually look at and confront personally. When God saw what the Ninevites did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion And did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased. See, it seemed wrong to Jonah that that God would actually honor the repentance of the Ninevites. I mean, Jonah thought, God, you're doing the wrong thing right now. I mean, these people have sinned. These people, they deserve to pay for their sin. Jonah became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. In other words, I knew, Jonah's saying, God, I knew that you were going to do this. I knew that if these people actually took me seriously and they listened to what I had to say and if they repented from their sin, I knew you would just turn right around and forgive them. I I knew that's what you would do. And see, listen, if you hear that and you think about that, doesn't that sound more like something that you would expect to read in the New Testament and not the Old Testament? 
In fact, if you're here and if one of the struggles that you kind of have with all this is how you, this, it's this false dichotomy that you, has kind of been given to us. That somehow in the Old Testament, God is this mean, angry, wrathful, vengeful God. And then somehow in the New Testament, a switch gets flipped and all of a sudden he's this kind, gentle grandpa guy. Right? If that's you, right? If that's kind of your struggle then you need to highlight this next verse, right? You need to circle this, star it, color it in, do it in your Bible, not the church Bible, right? In your own Bible, you need to actually mark this verse, Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, because 750 years, think about that, 750 years before Jesus, before there's a New Testament, before any of that, 750 years, here's what Jonah tells us about our Heavenly Father. He says, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. See, Jonah says, again, don't miss this. Jonah says, I know who you are, God. I know what you're like. I mean, after all, I'm a prophet. I'm your prophet. I know that you are a God who abounds in love, a God who does not want to punish unless he absolutely has to, a God whose grace is so big that people actually have a hard time getting outside the boundaries of your grace. I knew that even though the Ninevites were wicked and sinful and evil, I knew that even though they were an enemy of your people and an enemy of your nation, I knew that they, if they repented, that you would actually forgive them. I knew that was going to happen, and I am so angry with you for doing it, for not punishing them the way I think they deserve to be punished. And listen, if you've ever struggled personally, right? If you've ever questioned or wondered about God's love for you, not Jesus, right? The Heavenly Father. If you've ever wondered about your Heavenly Father's love for you, this is the verse. If you've ever wondered, could you get outside? Could you do something that would prevent your Heavenly Father from loving you, from welcoming you back, despite what you've done, despite what you've experienced in your past? If you've ever wondered if that was possible, this is the verse. But see, instead of rejoicing in God's character, instead of celebrating the truth about who God is, Jonah just gets angry. And in verse 3, he says, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Do you understand what Jonah's problem is here? Do you know what happened? Jonah was surrendered to the laws of God, but Jonah had never surrendered to the purpose of God. Jonah was surrendered to the will of God for his life, right? The right and wrong of God, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. Jonah was surrendered to those things in his life personally, but Jonah was never surrendered to the purpose of God in our world. He had never made himself fully available to, to God to accomplish what it is, whatever it is, that God actually wants to accomplish throughout the world. And so consequently, consequently, he became very, very judgmental. Do you know how this happens? Do you know how this happens to us good church people? Right? You become judgmental by becoming a very, very good person, but at the same time you actually lose your compassion for people who are not as good as you are. So you become judgmental because you become a good person and you actually forget what it is that you ultimately deserve. 
You forget that, that God has showers his love and his grace on you every single day. That you actually need God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness in your life just as much as everybody else does. But see, you forget that. And so consequently, you become right, so much better than other people that you actually forget to care about them. See, the hard truth is, the, re- the, the, the truth of the matter is, the very ugly truth of the matter is, there's, there's a reason why so many people in our world today, when they hear the word church, or they think about the word church, or somebody talks about church, they think to themselves, okay, why in the world would I want to be a part of that? Why would I want that? It's just a bunch of judgment. It's just a bunch of judgmental people. Right? The reason why that happens is because people get in contact, the only thing people ever contact or get into contact with when they think about church is a bunch of people who are really good at being good, but at the same time they also forget that God still has a purpose for our world. And for, in fact, perhaps the scariest part of the entire story of Jonah and the book of Jonah is that it shows us that you can actually be, I can actually be surrendered to God's will for my life personally. But if I've never surrendered myself to the purpose of God in this world, all that I have done is set myself up to become very, very judgmental. That I can actually become a part of the problem. That I can actually be like Jonah, an obstacle, don't miss this, an obstacle to the grace and the love of our Heavenly Father working in this world. So here's my question to all of us good church people today, right? Just the church people, that's all I'm talking to today. And I'm one of them, right? I'm one of you. I'm with you. Have you ever surrendered? Not to the moral will of God. Not the whole idea, I want to be a better parent, better husband, better wife. you got all that covered. Not I'm going to be honest. Not I'm going to be ethical. Not that I'm going to do the right things. Right? You, you've done all that. You, you covered all that. Have you ever said to your heavenly Father, listen, I am surrendered to your purpose in this world. That just as I'm available to you to be good, just as I'm available to you to be obedient, just as I'm available to be uh, uh, available to be an extension of your work in this world, that I am actually available to be uh, an extension of your work at work, at home, at school. That I'm available to be an extension of your grace and your love and your compassion with anybody whose life my life actually connects with. I mean, have you ever surrendered to that? Because, see, the truth is, if the church in general and if local churches specifically had remained surrendered in that area, the church of America, we would be in an entirely, entirely different place, wouldn't we? Because he, as many of us have experienced, and hopefully as all of you have experienced in your life, right, the compassion and the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God, that is something that is almost impossible to resist. 
In fact, the truth is, I would bet for many of us, if not all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus today, the the, the reason why you identify as a follower of Jesus, it's not because somebody sat down and explained something to you theologically, right? Maybe that was a part of it. It's because you were actually won over by the grace and the love and the forgiveness and the mercy of your heavenly Father that was given to you through another person. Why? Because that's what God is like. Right? That's what God is like. We don't, we don't change as people, right, in order to be loved. We change because we've actually been loved. But the minute that we're content with simply being good and the minute that we're content with simply being obedient and the minute that we're content with simply being right, The truth is, is we can very, very quickly find ourselves becoming just like Jonah because we forget that God still has a purpose for this world, that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, who is Jesus. And we become judgmental. We become nothing but an obstacle, and we end up setting up barriers, intentionally or unintentionally, between people who are or who perceive themselves to be on the outside looking in and the very God who wants everybody on the inside of the experience of his love and his grace and his compassion. And so God asks Jonah a question in verse 4. The Lord replies to Jonah, have you any right to be angry? Jonah, do you have any right to be angry? Wasn't it just you who just a couple of weeks ago, you actually needed my love, Jonah? Jonah, wasn't it just a couple of weeks ago, you needed my grace? Jonah, you needed me to be slow to anger and compassionate to you. Jonah, do you have any right above all people to be angry? And as you read the story, you notice that Jonah, he never actually answers God. He never answers God's question. Instead, what Jonah does is he walks up and he goes up a hillside, right? And again, this is in Iraq. It's very, very hot. And he goes up and he finds this spot on this hillside overlooking the city of Nineveh. And he just sits there waiting to see what it is that God is going to do to this city of Ninevites. And then God sends a gourd to grow, right, which is like a pumpkin. And so it's got these very big, broad leaves, And Jonah moves under the shade that these leaves provide, and the Scripture tells us that that Jonah is happy. right? And then God sends a worm. And in the course of 24 hours, that worm, it chews through the root of that gourd, and so the plant wilts and it dies, and Jonah's just angry again. And then God sends a wind. Right? All throughout the story, isn't it interesting? God just keeps sending stuff. Right? First, he sends a storm, then he sends a fish, then he sends a gourd, then he sends a worm. And then he sends a wind, and that wind, it kicks the temperature up way high, and it gets super hot, and Jonah becomes miserable. And once again, now, God speaks to Jonah another time. And now is when that mirror comes up. Now is where it gets uncomfortable. And we see something, perhaps, in ourselves. Verse 9. God said to Jonah, do you have a right To be angry about the vine? Jonah says, I do. He says, I am angry enough to die. Right? I I am so mad about this gourd dying. Because my primary concern is that I don't have any shade anymore. 
My primary concern is that I'm not comfortable anymore. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned, right? That is, had compassion. That is, had pity about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. In other words, they don't know the difference between right and wrong. Nobody's ever taught them anything. They're like little children. They don't know what sin is. And many cattle as well. In other words, Jonah, if you don't care about the people, maybe you can find room in your heart to care about the animals. Right? If you don't care about the people, maybe you care about the cows, Jonah. Should I, God said, not be concerned about that great city? The end. The end of the book. Right? And God's point is so painfully obvious, isn't it? Right? Here's what God's saying to Jonah. Jonah, you're concerned about all the wrong stuff. Jonah, you're a good man. Jonah, you're a prophet. Jonah, someday there's going to be an entire book about you. They're going to make movies about you. Jonah, you're a good guy. You're a law keeper. Everybody's going to know your name. Jonah, you're a good man. But Jonah, you are concerned about all the wrong things. Your concerns, Jonah, they don't reflect my concerns. Jonah, do you know what I'm concerned with? I'm concerned with this generation of people. Jonah, what are you concerned with? Me? My vine? Me? Jonah, I'm concerned about this generation of Ninevites. What are you concerned with? Jonah? Hey, Joe. I'm concerned about this generation of people. What are you concerned with? Hey, you. And you? And you? I'm concerned about this generation of people. What are you concerned with? I'm concerned about that guy at the end of your street who's always alone. He's always by himself. I'm concerned about that woman that you work with. Nobody ever talks to her. Do you notice that? A lot of people talk about her every day. Nobody talks to her. I'm concerned with this generation of students. I'm concerned about this generation of children. I'm concerned about this generation of single moms. I'm concerned about this generation of married moms. I'm concerned about people who've walked away from church. I'm concerned about people who don't know Jesus. What are you concerned about? God asked Jonah another question. Let me ask you this. What do you get angry about? You know what I get angry about, if I'm honest? I get angry when things don't go my way. What frustrates me the most, personally, right, is when what I want to have happen is not the thing that actually does happen. So what are you concerned about? 
See, now what I was tempted to do is just stop right here. Because this is where the book stops. Just kind of let that hang. See, the truth is that would not be fair for me to do. You know why? Because if you are seated in this room right now, as so many of you are, then chances are you are actually sitting next to somebody who gets this. Who gets this. A group of people who get this. The reason why this building is here. The reason why it looks the way that it does. The reason why the bills get paid. The reason why your children are so incredibly well taken care of no matter when it is that you actually come to church. The reason why so many people this year, why dozens and dozens and dozens of people will go throughout this state, this country, and all throughout our world. The reason why they'll raise their own support. The reason why they'll use their own money. The reason why they'll take their vacation time. The reason why they'll shut down their business. The reason why they'll take on more work just to cover the expenses is because you are actually surrounded by groups of people. Groups and piles of people who actually get this. You mentor children. You coach children. You go on retreats with kids. You don't even have kids or you have kids at home anymore. right? There are so many of you who get this. You understand that God is concerned about this generation of people and your greatest concern is not just you. It's not just people who are like you. And because of that, you do this very strange thing, which I'm not exaggerating, I believe actually has the ability to change the world. It has the ability to change the way the world sees church. It has the ability to change the way the world sees God. You do this very strange thing where you take your most valuable asset, you take your time, and then you take your skills, you take your education, you take your talents, you take those things that you've learned throughout the course of your life, and then you actually take your own money the money that God actually gives to you, and you take all of those things, you take those resources, and you allow all of them to come together and to connect with God's purpose in this world. And it makes such an incredible difference in the lives of people because you are concerned about the very things that God is concerned about. Because, see, every once in a while, a group of people come together, and they do not sin the sin of Jonah. You know what the sin of Jonah is? My religion is all about me. I get to die someday. I get to go to heaven someday. I'm happy. I'm fine. I'm all about me. I'm done. I'm good. I'm out. And see, there are a bunch of you in this room right now who have gone way, way past that. And you understand it is not about simply surrendering to the personal will of God or the moral will of God. It is about surrendering to the purpose of God in this world that all people would be saved. And so you do these very, very unusual things. You do things that are extraordinary and you do things that make an incredible difference in the lives of people. You do. But not all of you. Not all of you. And let me be fair. Let me be fair. You're grateful. You are. You're grateful. You're grateful that you grew up in a church somewhere, that you grew up maybe even in this church. You're grateful that somebody gave money to pay the bills. You're grateful that somebody gave money to build the building. Somebody gave money to paint the building. You're grateful somebody paid for the staff. You're grateful there were mission trips. Right? You're grateful that somebody actually came to your house when you were a kid and, and told your family about Jesus, told your parents about Jesus, maybe told you about Jesus. 
You're grateful that somebody talked to your mom and dad about Jesus when they were young so that you could actually grow up in a Christian home. You are incredibly grateful. And the truth is, at times, right, you, you feel that. You, you're, you feel that compassion. You have feelings of, of gratitude. But if you're honest, if you're honest, you don't necessarily do a whole lot about it, do you? If you're honest on a weekly, on a monthly basis, there is not. There's very little of your time, very little of your skill, your talent, your resources that connect in a meaningful and an intentional way with God's purpose, what it is that God is doing here in this place, what it is that God is doing here in this community, what it is that God is doing here in our world. You're a good person. You are. You're a good person. You've just never surrendered to your heavenly Father and his purpose in this world. You've never said to your heavenly Father, whatever it is that I have, all that I have and all that I am is available to you, heavenly Father, to do whatever you want to impact this world, to impact my world, to impact the people who are in my world. Any way that you see fit, heavenly Father, I am here, use me. You have never surrendered at that level. And see, it's time for that to change. It's time for that to change. And you think to yourself, Joe, you're really on my case this morning. It's like, yeah, I am on your case this morning because I'm your pastor and I love you. Okay, I love you. And you actually have an incredible opportunity. You have an opportunity to be a part of a solution, right? Don't miss this. Not a solution to a single problem. You have the opportunity to be a part of a solution to all kinds of problems because you actually have the opportunity to be a part of the movement of Jesus Christ in this world. Because, see, God's grace and God's love and God's compassion as expressed through God's people, that cannot be argued with, refuted, or ignored, even in spite of what someone might believe. Do you know how people are going to hear? Do you know how people are going to experience God's love and his forgiveness? I mean, think about this for a second. I mean, do you really believe that God's just going to, like, magically appear in their bedroom one night and shake them and say, okay, wake up, I'm God, and you're not, and I'm here to forgive you, amen? I mean, is that how it works? Right? No, it's going to be through people. It's going to be through you. It's going to be through people who are surrendered to their Heavenly Father. It's going to be through people who know it's not enough to just simply surrender to being a good person and following the rules. That as a follower of Jesus, I am surrendered to my Heavenly Father, and that means His purpose. His purpose in this world becomes my purpose. That I'm going to actually be invested that I'm going to be involved in God's purpose in this world, that I am going to be involved in my Heavenly Father's love and grace and compassion as it moves throughout every corner of our world. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Father, thank you for always being a God, for always being a God who is gracious and compassionate, who is slow to anger, and who abounds in love.
And Father, thank you for the fact that right now, just in this room alone, that there are hundreds of people in this room and in our church who understand this and who sacrifice their time, sacrifice their money. They share themselves because they are surrendered to you and to your work, to your purpose in our world. And Father, thank you for all those who have gone before us in our past and who have sacrificed and served so that we could be here today. And Father, for us who are here today, for this generation, Father, I pray that you would give to every single one of us the vision, the courage, not to miss what it is that you're doing in us, through us, through this place and in our world. Father, I pray and ask that you would continue to use us to share the good news of who Jesus is, what he's done for every single one of us. And so, Father, I pray and ask that you would hear us in these next few moments as we personally and silently call to you and as we confess our sin to you. The good news of the gospel is that your heavenly Father, he is gracious. He is compassionate. He is slow to anger and he is abounding in love. And he has sent into your world and into this world his son Jesus to die and to pay the price for your sin and for mine so that we would truly be forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.